Hey friends, Ed and Brittany Holmes here, back with the Axios Wellness Podcast. We are launching our summer series today, Conversations with Friends, and we're really excited about it. Yeah, and the intention of this series is to share all the phenomenal people we have in our life that impact the four quadrants of our health, and we know these conversations will be inspiring and helpful to you. So today we're interviewing our friend and mental health professional, Amy Langdahl, who specializes working with teens and young adults. And this conversation is super insightful. Yeah, we talk about the global level mental health crisis and what's going on between people's ears and then get really, really practical about what are tools we can use to help stabilize and improve our own mental health. Let's get into it. So... Season three of the podcast is really focused on all four quadrants, emotional, mental, spiritual, and physical. And we have great friends who are subject matter experts in these different quadrants that we're talking to all season. But real quick, we wanted to give some context to those four quadrants. And the greatest way we found to give context is the questions that we've built around them. So physically, do I have the energy I need to meet the demands of my life right now? And if the demands were to increase, would that break me? Mm -hmm. Emotionally, is my emotional response to the events of my life appropriate, both high and low? So not only do I feel sadness when it's appropriate, but do I feel joy when it's appropriate as well? Right. Right. Mentally, how is my self-talk? What is going on between my ears? And am I using numbing techniques or distractions to deal with the fact that my self-talk isn't good? Mm-hmm. Yeah, to quiet my head To down. quiet my head down. And then spiritually, which is the last one, spiritually to us is, do I have a broader sense and a deeper purpose and meaning for why I am here? And it's in these four quadrants being in balance and abundance that we end up creating a life inversion of us that we find enjoyment and fulfillment in. We say that we resonate with. So that's the focus for this season. And we're talking to people that are going to help us create health in those four quadrants. Yeah. So today we're focusing a lot on the mental and emotional quadrant. We have our friend Amy here with us and we're really excited. We're just going to have a great discussion around mental health and some of the challenges that are really prevalent in our culture right now and some ways to navigate those. So Amy... You are a mental health professional. Yep. You are an official professional. Official. <laughs> I have to pay for that. I don't know why. Yeah. Blame it. Blame it. <laughs> yeah, you went to all the schools. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you work primarily with teens and young adults. Yep. Is that right? Can you tell us a little bit more just about you and about your practice, how you got into the mental health space, and why you're so passionate about it? Yeah, so when I was in college, I double majored in psychology and human development, and then took a year off in the working world to figure out like if I wanted to dive into another round of schooling. And, yeah. um, and I worked at a nonprofit for abused, neglected, and at-risk youth um, called Child Haven. And after that year, it solidified that, yes, I want to keep pursuing um, this direction. And so I went to Northwest in Kirkland and got a master's in counseling psych. Shout um, out to Northwest. Woo, Northwest alum. So since then, I worked in private practice under someone for the first four or five years. And then as of January of 2021, I launched my own private practice um, called Anchored Counseling. 
Um, thank you to the pandemic. I my office is my living room, and <laughs> that's one good thing that. That, that we all got from it, right? <laughs> yeah, never in my life did I think I was going to be permanently an online therapist, but yeah. here we are. So here we are. Yeah. And what what have so obviously you worked with at risk youth for a bit, and you and that cemented the direction you wanted to go. But what keeps you in it? What keeps you excited about continuing to grow your practice and hone your skills as a mental health professional? Yeah, I think in the world that we live in today, there's so many people that benefit from extra support, especially my clients. Not all of them, but a lot of them don't feel like they have people in their external world to do that for them. Um, And actually during the pandemic, I was doing one of Rachel Hollis's next 90 day challenges. Mm -hmm. And um, this woman named Stacy Flowers said that a therapist is the only relationship you will ever have in your life that is only for you. And so I'm really honored to be that person for so many people. And I think that's what keeps me going, even in the midst of talking about things that are super heavy, even in the midst of like feeling really tired and full, especially in the last couple of years. It's just continuous, but I'm really grateful for that to be a space that I can provide for people. What's something for you personally that brings you joy? Like what's your, what's your thing? Um, lately walks. I yeah. walk every single day, getting out of the f- confines of my living room is especially because you work from very home. Very life giving. Yeah. Like I have never really had to do the difference between, you know, work and home. They've always been separate. And now mm-hmm. that they're not, it's very impactful for me to get out and have different spaces within my home that serve different roles as well. Um, I think I like, that's affecting a lot of people. Absolutely. If we're being honest. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I like to be in nature next to the river, which is why I'm naming my new puppy river. Oh my and gosh. Um, I get him tomorrow, so I'm really excited. The about cutest that. little fluff ball. The cutest. Puppies bring joy and yes. frustration. Like in they, bring, they bring all of it. <laughs> yeah. They're 100% worth it. Yeah. If you're on the fence that's what I tell about myself. getting a puppy, that's my yeah. self talk. Yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> yeah. It is worth it. Yeah. It is. It is. I agree. So obviously you could not have been a human in the last three years and not known that we'd had some crises on our hands, right? And so we are now outside of the pandemic and so many of the restrictions are lifting now, but there's still quite a bit of lingering effects from that and just a mental health crisis in general, right? Absolutely. Um, Can you talk to us about, as you've been working with young adults and teens and just in your industry, what you're seeing in that space and just all of it. Yeah, so I would say the number one and two, if not tied for number one spot, is anxiety and depression. And I think a lot of times when we were in the midst of the pandemic, we thought that once it was over, everything was going to go back to normal. Yeah. There's no new... What is normal? Exactly. There's no quote-unquote normal anymore. It's just an adjustment. And as with the adjustment our mental health is being adjusted as well. And a lot of times we thought, you know, like, okay, normalcy equals happiness again. I can't wait till all of these things open up and they are open up now. Right. However, we're still struggling. So there is lasting impact on the way in which we are processing the last three years and continuously processing the things that keep popping up. Yeah. And so within anxiety, you know, there's a lot of still unknowns there's a lot of still a, a lot of changes that we're not in control of, mm-hmm. big things, 
and we feel a, a lot of helplessness surrounding that. Right. There's been a lot of avoidance um, because of what we've gone through for the last couple of years. So now our anxiety is higher because, you know, anxiety goes up when we avoid things. And so now we're going back in of like, okay, well, you can go back to school or you can go back to work. But some people might not be comfortable with that right. or they don't even know what that looks like for me. I can speak to that as well. You know, I have some clients who ask me like, hey, when are you going to go back to an office? And I'm like, honestly, I don't really have plans. And it's not because I'm anxious about it, but this is just my new normal and I'm comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. And I never in my life thought that this would be a thing, but here I am. And there's some things that won't go back. Absolutely. It just is. And how are people adjusting to that is the biggest thing. Yeah. Well, I, I find that interesting. I'd love to play with that a little bit. So I have a, a pretty long history with depression, mm-hmm. right? And I know the things that help me mitigate my depressive episodes, mm-hmm. right? Like moving, eating clean, deep connection, obviously being in therapy. And then I tell myself when I feel X, then I'm not going to need those things anymore, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I, I find what has happened in the world over the last three years is people's coping mechanisms were removed for a year and a half. And then they were like, maybe not even, I guess they're coping mechanisms. A lot of them are distractions. Yeah. Which distractions are largely coping mechanisms. So it's like, all right, my distractions, my coping mechanisms are removed and a whole generation of people have never not had distractions. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I do think it's, it is very interesting for me to observe the lasting effects because people were working on themselves during COVID Mm -hmm. and then they went back to work, back to school, back into community, back to church, back, back, back. Life felt normal. And then the assumption is the problem went away. Right. And in reality, the distractions just returned. Yeah. The anxiety that I felt, the sadness I felt, all of it, the loss that I felt now, all of it's just, just gone now because life is quote unquote back to normal. Yeah. But that's not really reality. Yeah, and we're aware now, right? Like, how interesting is it that we know, and then we're also somewhat aware that we're distracting again, like we're coping again. So how, I I just, I think that's really real for people. How do you help people realize, like, the long-form work of working on their mental health? Yeah, it's very normal for my clients to regress after they progressed. Mm. A lot of times what we say is, you know, progress is not linear. It is a giant roller coaster. Yeah. So a lot of times we're doing really good. Oh my gosh, I'm seeing the results. Great. I can drop back like you were saying. And then we're regressing and we're, we're, you know, feeling anxious again, or our mental health like is declining or our, um, self-talk is getting darker whatever it is and so people are like what is happening I thought I was better well you are but you have to continue to be so (laughs) progress is not linear and it's a lifelong commitment to yourself to say hey even in the midst of the good great I'm on the right path not that that I'm done but I'm on the right path and I think that's the hardest thing I fall into that category sometimes too where I'm like, all right, I ate so good, right? and now what, yeah. right? Now I have the leniency to not eat as well, mm-hmm. or whatever that may be. So I think that's the hardest part, even with clients who take medication. They're doing really well. Oh my gosh, I'm doing well. The next time you see them, they're yeah. not doing well. Why aren't you doing well? Oh, well, I stopped taking my meds. Why? 
Because I was better. Because I was better, yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting That's it's interesting you bring that up because that's actually something we talk with so many of our coaching clients about is we tend, people when people come to us, and I would assume too when people come to you for therapy, they're coming about a specific frustration. Yeah. I'm feeling anxious all the time you know, from this. Maybe they don't even know why, but I'm feeling this and I don't want to keep feeling this. Mm-hmm. People come to us, I'm feeling really out of balance in my health either physically or with my business and I feel like I don't know how to balance things, right? And so they want to deal with the immediate frustration and once they feel like they've dealt with that frustration and built a little bit of momentum, just like you're saying, then they release the all the things that they put in place to get better in that space Yeah, because they think it's quote-unquote better. Well, no. it's really easy to assume growth is about the relief of frustration, right? So like I'm frustrated right now and as soon as the frustration is gone, then I grew. As opposed to, like you're saying, it's this continued effort in right. one it's not direction. Linear. Yeah. I think it's really good to note that a lot of times clients will come in and say, I don't want this to be a part of my life anymore. Mm. And a lot of the things that they're wanting to remove is a human emotion. Mm. And we're unable to do that. Yeah. We're allowed to be frustrated, anxious, sad, mad, jealous, whatever it is. But we just need to have better tools to allow us to do better mm-hmm. handling and navigating those emotions. Right. We cannot e- erase yeah. an emotional response. It's yeah, healthy to say, have all of them. It's, emotions are human. Yes. We can't not have emotions. Right. Even though I am someone that would wish I didn't feel Life. emotions <laughs> sometimes. See, that'd be another cool thing to play with, like to talk out real quick. So I spend a majority of my life really assuming that the issues in my life were from my emotions, right? Not how I was maladaptive in my handling of them, right? Or what I allowed my emotions to drive me to do. And what, what, like, how do we encourage someone who is, let me me back up. This is why I would say, I have come to learn that the only way I know that I deeply love Brittany is I've known loss before, right? Like, and so love has no context without loss right Right. Mm -hmm. like I know healthy because I have felt sick right and so it has given me a logical understanding as to why there's so many emotions to experience Mm -hmm. so how how do you help someone who comes in and is maybe emotionally illiterate or shaming themselves for feeling things to start to realize like no this is what makes humanity and the experience of human life like delicious is all of the things that we get to experience right yeah i think the hardest part is for them to normalize their own emotional experience i normalize it for them all the time right hey that's normal i would feel the same way that's a really difficult situation to be in And I don't think they hear that from other people or they don't even share it with people to tell them those things. I also think that a lot of the people in my clients' lives don't necessarily respond in the ways that I do for them. Mm -hmm. Hey, you're anxious? Just calm down. Just chill out. It's not that big of a deal. Think about something else. Yeah, instead of saying, hey, I hear you, I see you, I'll sit with you. And they're like, oh, okay. Like, this is a normal experience because a lot of times I feel like I'm the only one. No one else knows what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. I'm doing this by myself. So a lot of times I call it like you're you're currently suffering in silence. Yeah. And that's doing you no favors. So at least let me sit with you. It's no longer silent. silent. We're having a dialogue. It can be out there. I can hold it for you. 
And then it becomes less scary. Yeah. I mean, that's one of my favorite Mr. Rogers quotes, is what becomes mentionable becomes manageable. Yeah. Like, we talk about it all the time because it's so true, and we forget that. Because we think if I hold it in, I, I'll make this personal. I think <laughs> that when I hold my emotion in, or whatever I'm experiencing, and I, you know, put my big curl pants on, and I'm just going to muster through it, right. then it will go away. But in reality, it gets stronger. Right. And then I yeah. isolate myself more. Because what we resist persists, right? And then we write a narrative. Like, for me, when I was the sickest mentally and suicidal and struggling with addiction, I wrote a narrative that I walked myself in and out of guilt, I assumed I had to walk myself back out. Right. And then, like, that narrative got stronger and stronger the more I kept trying to do it because my identity got tied to my ability to walk myself yeah. back you out. You just need right? to pick yourself up just, by yeah, your bootstraps. Absolutely. And so it's like I had emotions that I didn't have the emotional intelligence to navigate. To even and, acknowledge. Yeah. Right? And then a narrative that I was writing and they became mutually enforcing. Yeah. Right? And so the self-isolation got deeper and then the shame got deeper because I knew I shouldn't be what I was because I wanted to walk myself out myself. So I I think I, I love the fact that like mental health is becoming something where people realize it's not something you solve on an island right? at all. It's something like we are the worst estimators of our own mental health, I think, at times. Yeah, and we're having, too close to it. Yeah, and having a mirror is so powerful. It's really easy yeah. to devalue it. Or compare yourself to other people and say, well, I'm not as bad as that, so I don't Mm -hmm. want to take up the space. One of the biggest barriers for people is to ask for help. Whether that is from a professional or from someone within their world, Mm -hmm. they don't want to feel like a burden. So they suffer in silence, like I'm saying, and it just perpetuates the issue that is happening within themselves and it gets bigger Mm -hmm. and something's got to give and a lot of times it gives when it gets really bad and that's what we're wanting to prevent yeah 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 how do we you know obviously we our field is coaching mm-hmm. um so there's some similar similarities and crossover between what you do as a therapist but there's also a lot of differences and so what are ways that you're seeing you know even as mental health is starting to become talked about more like i feel like we've seen such a shift even online and just conversations in general about mental health and there being a crisis and we need to be able to talk about this right mm-hmm. what are ways that you feel like from your seat we can help people get there faster for themselves because it's one thing to recognize well yeah mental health is an issue and people should be able to talk about it and then when you realize oh, wait, I think I might be the one that needs the help. I, I maybe should take my own advice and talk about it. Mm-hmm. How do we help people get across that gap quicker? I think that's a tough question. I, at the end of the day, people need to want it. Mm-hmm. And if they're not ready to want it, it doesn't matter what they hear, who tells them what, there's going to be apprehension. Yeah. And therapy won't work unless someone's open to it. There's been a lot of people have come in my door and a lot of parents are forcing them to be there. Yeah. And that's where I meet them. And I say, okay, if you're forced to be here, how can we take advantage of the time? What do you want to talk about? I take everything off of the table and say, no pressure to talk about any of this other stuff. Right. Tell me who you are. What do you like? And then that's a really easy like form of connection that allows for more vulnerability. No, that's so good. But people need to yeah, they, they got to take yeah. the first step. But I mean, like you're saying, some of your clients are coming, you know, they're put there in mm-hmm. essence. 
Um, and so they're in a place of obligation, right? Because when we're in a place of obligation, we see this sometimes when a client comes to us and they've just gotten a diagnosis, like things are really extreme, right? Like their doctor is like, you literally cannot continue the way that you're continuing right, right now. Um, it's time for some interventions. And so a lot of times it can be that victim state that they're coming to us in of, I'm a victim to my body. I'm a victim to these circumstances. Yeah. And I need all of these circumstances to change so that I can change, you know? And so it's, it meant it's tricky. It it's is. tricky to navigate. Consequences. I think when there is a consequence in place, people have more drive. Yeah. If they can get away with everything functioning, maybe not to the degree that they would like, but things are, you know, settled enough. Yeah. There's not enough motivation for them to do anything different. So if there's a consequence, whether that is externally or internally implemented, that's when change happens. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I think the greatest, like, I have found for me, the, the greatest gift I've given to people in our world that are struggling with their mental health is being open about my journey. Yeah. Like I, I still remember the first time I spoke, we were pastors. And so I spoke often. And the first time I spoke about from the stage about my mental health journey, being suicidal, struggling with addiction and all those kinds of things, the amount of people that came and found, I still, this was profound to me. This, this mother walks up sobbing because her daughter had just had a suicide attempt. And she's like, you gave me hope, right? That like, we can navigate this as a family. And so yeah. I think like the answer, the way I would answer that. And I agree with Amy is like, people need to want it at the same time. I can show the benefits of it in my life and it may make it more attractive to other people. Right. When just more common, yeah. I think that's yeah. so important. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about that for a second because how much in your experience, how much of the, awareness so to speak of I have anxiety or I have depression or I need mental health help is coming from how much it's being talked about on social media and these social networking platforms where it's just like there's so many voices right I we are definitely on the right path to destigmatizing mental health which I think is great yeah we needed we have needed to have that for way too long longer than I've been alive yeah but you know, we're on that road. That's great. However, I think that does open up a lot more awareness, a lot more dialogue to mental health. And sometimes it's hard for people to decipher the differences between a mental health diagnosis and normalcy within a human experience. Yeah. Just human emotion. Yes. Like just because you're experiencing sadness does not mean you have major depressive disorder. Mm. Just because you experience situational anxiety does not mean that you have an anxiety disorder. So I think it'd be really beneficial um, to have more hands-on education to kind of navigate the differences between the two. And then yes, as it comes with social media, it never stops. It never turns off. And there's so many platforms and you can scroll for the End literally of hours yeah. yeah and so you know whether it's tiktok or instagram whatever people use the most there is a lot of helpful and hurtful information. mental health information mm-hmm. being spread around and it it comes up all the time in my sessions gaslighting toxic all of the things and they're not narcissism they're not even using them in the correct way so there's a lot of psycho ed that we have to do in sessions for our clients to say you know talk to me more about what you think this means 
and how it's playing out in your life. And a lot of times it's not even meeting the qualifications. Mm -hmm. So people are just labeling each other with all of these negative traits Mm -hmm. and it's not even happening. So not to say that gaslighting, narcissism and toxicity don't exist, but to the degree in which people are discussing it or labeling it is not the same. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we should talk about that for a second, honestly, because I think there's really so much power that comes when we can correctly identify what it is, the emotion that we are experiencing. Because most of us, I think culturally, um, correct me if I'm wrong, because you have more knowledge in this space than I do. Um, Brene Brown calls it the, the, I think she calls it the sad, mad, glad triad. Mm-hmm. And most of us only know to know how to distinguish something we're feeling by either we're sad or mad or we're glad slash happy. Right. And so then as we get older and our human experience gets more complex and there's more factors at play, more people involved in our world, um, we don't know how to distinguish what it is that we're experiencing from either from within or from like you're saying, okay, I had this experience with someone. I, f- I felt like I, maybe that was gaslighting, right? But they, you know, we don't even know how to distinguish things. How do we get better emotional literacy and language around these things? Mm-hmm. Well, um, yeah, our human experience does not equate into three different emotions so a lot of times (laughs) it's it's the educational aspect of you know the spectrum in which we experience emotions Mm -hmm. so um Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart I'm obsessed is heavy and fantastic it's literally physically heavy by the way yes it is (laughs) heavy it is like a thick encyclopedia yeah so even as a therapist reading that it is a lot to absorb absorb. yeah Yeah, absolutely and it's there's so many more emotions that we have the ability to experience Mm -hmm. that we don't do our emotions justice when we don't have the correct wording yeah and so it's more of there's been a lot of light bulb moments in sessions where they they identify an emotion and we explore it a little bit more and we we talk about other emotional experiences and they say oh my gosh yes that is actually what I'm experiencing. This, this makes so much more sense because we get so confused and we don't know how to regulate and we also don't know how to navigate an emotion we can't name. So then we are stuck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if we have the right verbiage and the right understanding, then we can help ourselves so much better. With my younger clients, I make um, emotion fortune or what are those called? Oh, the little uh, fingers. Yes, the fortune teller cookies made out of paper. Anyways, when you used to color them as a kid and see your future. No, she's talking about the fortune teller. Yeah, if your crush was going to like you or not. It's going to bother me now. I know. Um, I just remember playing a specific game with them, but I don't remember the. I don't, it doesn't I don't matter. Hopefully, I just knows know what you're talking about. every single time I was told my crush did not like me. <laughs> that's that's what that that was my relationship. Yeah, you like do us. a certain number and then you open the flap or something. Yes. I don't even yeah. know. Yes, so I do that with emotions. So we we pick a color, whatever. We open it up. Each little flap is a different emotion that they tend to experience mm-hmm. or struggle with. So then under each one, okay, I'm feeling mad. What makes me feel better when I'm feeling mad? What are some things that I can do as an outlet for myself if I'm feeling angry? Or if, you know, what, like love, 
happiness, what makes me feel happy, kind of just understanding if I'm experiencing this, these are the things that help or these are the things that I can implement if I am struggling with a different emotion. Mm. Yeah, I love I love that that you pointed this out though. That is impossible to do if we're naming the wrong emotion because then yeah. I'm using the wrong tools, right? Right. Yeah. And again, if if there was any logical reason to go to therapy, this part of the conversation is it. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> because, sitting here thinking like, we don't have the skills in yeah, and of ourselves to yeah, correctly this identify. Is, this we is don't. why, like, mm-hmm. I'm a pretty highly intelligent, very logical thinker. Very well read. Very well read. And therapy has been profound for me in that way because I'm too close to my own stuff. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I have the tools I have. Like, I, I heard this quote one time, when all you have is, is, a, hammer. is a hammer, everything is nails, right? And so I started to see this pattern in my life that regardless of the emotion I was experiencing, both high and low, like sadness to joy, my response, well, for a long time, it was food. And then it was, I'm going to go drink. Mm -hmm. And then it was, and then I realized like, oh, shoot, I only have a hammer. Like every, like I've just, I keep swapping out for a while. Interestingly enough, it was fitness, which is a more like socially acceptable hammer, it's, right? It's a healthier, it's a hammer. healthier hammer, but still <laughs> it was, um, it was not authentically sitting in and experiencing yeah. and you were still avoiding. Out, yeah. Yeah. What I was experiencing. So this, this right here is why therapy is so powerful because it's someone outside of you with better tools that can help you objectively see what tool is the best one to use right now. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Thank you. <laughs> I just mean the conversation in general, but <laughs> you can also take that as yeah. your personal compliment. I mean, what are, so therapy obviously is the biggest tool in the toolbox, in my opinion. Um, I think coaching plays a part of that. I mean, what are some other tools that you feel like are, are important as people are recognizing, oh, I might need some mental health support and maybe start to correctly identify what it is that I'm experiencing. Like what, what are some other things that they can do? I would say build your social support um, internally within yourself, the self-care skills and um, coping skills that you can have individually. That's something that I preach a lot to my clients is we have other people to help us. That's great, but we can't rely on them. Mm. If you're struggling at 2 a.m., granted, you know, some of the teenagers are up until 2 a.m., so maybe your friends are awake, but... But no good advice is but happening at 2 a.m. Nothing good right. happens so, after 2 a.m. Yeah, so it's <laughs> like doesn't. if you're struggling at 2 a.m., what can you do within your own world to help yourself? Yeah. A lot of times we want to seek out help. Like, who can help me? What can I do outside of Someone me? Someone else make me feel better. Instead yeah. of saying, hey, I'm feeling anxious. Maybe I'm going to pick up my journal and just kind of go through my yeah. thoughts. I, can we actually talk about that for a second? Because yeah. that's something that was really transformative for me. I... So just a little bit background for me, I'm an only child and I had really close, still have a close relationship with my parents, really respect them for how they raised me. I've always struggled with fear. And I remember my parents kind of speaking specific things over to, over to me that I would then like speak over myself when I felt that come on. But aside from that, I didn't really have an understanding of like self-coping mechanisms Mm -hmm. and how to self-soothe I know that's something like little infants like you teach infants how to do but then I feel like when it comes to our emotions as we get older we like lose the ability to do that yeah so so much more complex yeah we feel like stress again I'll just keep it personal like uh, when I feel stressed or when I feel anxious or overwhelmed by a situation 
Um, I often, my first instinct is again, like you were saying, to look externally right. for Ed, support. Dogs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who's around me? Literally, yeah. like down to this morning, like having a moment in my office and I'm like yelling at Ed in his <laughs> office. Like, instead of doing some of the tools that I now know because of the work in my own life and with my own therapist. But I mean, what are some of the things that you just mentioned? Journaling as one of them. What are some of those other, what is self-coping and self-soothing? Yeah. Journaling, number one, is the thing that I will preach to the day I die. I have so many extra journals. Granted, now that I'm not in an office, it's harder to pass it through the the computer. Everyone loves getting mail. Absolutely. I mean, I, we... I think we um, don't give ourselves enough credit to have the skills that we can just implement on our own. Getting outside of our four walls, changing our environment, getting fresh air, Mm -hmm. drinking water to regulate our breathing. Drink water. I am the number one person to get hangry. So if I'm not... If I'm not able to regulate my emotions very well, if I am more sassy or if I'm more irritated or I'm Mm. more emotional than what I would normally be in that situation, have you eaten? Yes. Have you moved? Did you sleep well? Like I call it the foundational four, water, movement, food, sleep. Yeah. I need to check in on like my basic fundamentals of life in order for me to take care of my mental health because it's it's shot that's just like the tool that we it's all we teach our clients are you hungry angry lonely or tired and if yeah i think that's from 12 steps if i'm remembering where i got that right but like if you are encountering one of those then resolve that that issue first (laughs) and then we can move on Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 Yeah, so what are some... Journaling is a big one. Water. Water. Get outside. outside. Yeah. Um, How do... I mean, what is the balance, I guess? And I don't even know if this is a fair question, but what's the balance between, you know, someone like me, I try to take up as little space as possible. And so, you know, be as, quote unquote, less needy, you know, than I might perceive someone else. So I would tend to go to self-coping mechanisms maybe quicker when sometimes I do need external support. Like how do you know the difference? Yeah. Being able to decipher the difference is up to the person, right? So a lot of my clients go externally before they go internally. And so to do that, like it depends on the situation. If it's an emergency crisis, you need extra help. Um, but if it's something that you're like, okay, I'm just really uncomfortable. I need to, you know, commit to trying a couple things. Mm-hmm all in before I seek out. So when I do safety plans with clients, it's we make a very big list of like what I can do on my own. Right. And then who can I contact that I feel comfortable contacting? And then if all of those are exhausted, what are the professional levels of support that I need to contact my therapist, off hours, crisis hotlines, emergency rooms if needed. But yeah, it's I think coming down to same thing with emotions. What am I experiencing and what do I need as opposed to maybe what is my go-to? Mm-hmm. My yeah. go-to might not be what I actually need. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think it's important that we re- revisit journaling for a second because this is a tool Ed and I both use. We learned from from our experience with therapy. 
and we we preach it just like you to yeah. clients all the time but for someone that doesn't hasn't experienced that process like I know when I first started that I was like okay so what the heck do I write right <laughs> yeah. here I am notebook blank paper like now what do I the, do? The weird <laughs> obligation that I live with assuming that people are going to read my journal. Right, right. And therefore, it's like it must be poetic and prosy. Yeah, and, and it's like proper I'm, grammar, I'm handwriting. curating. Oh One of God. my clients asked me this the other day. He's like, what the, like, what do I journal about? And I was like, you write about what's in your head until you don't want to write anymore. And yeah. then you stop. Just literally like, that's, get out that's, of your head. Yeah. Yeah, I do this a couple of different ways with my clients, especially ones who haven't journaled before. Mm-hmm. It's really intimidating. Paper and a pen. Never knew. It was so intimidating. But it depends on the person, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we are talking about something that um, I tell them, hey, I want you to take some time to reflect on this, have something prepared. It doesn't matter if it's a sentence or five pages. Try, see what we come up with, and we'll revisit it next session. Sometimes people just free write whatever comes to mind. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Or people are like, oh, I still feel... Like, I can't do this, so I give them a prompt. Mm -hmm. If I make up the prompt, if we make up the prompt together, if it's something that's totally unrelated to what we're working on Mm -hmm. to ease them in, tell me what's your favorite place to visit. And then we kind of explore, like, the the benefits to that place the next time around. There's Mm -hmm. there's always a therapeutic tie-in to them, even if it seems pretty Mm -hmm. low-key. So... Yeah, I mean, I think it just depends on the person and where they're at in their ability to yeah. kind of just connect with themselves. I know for me, I I am a, like, specific form person. Mm-hmm. So, like, if it doesn't look like the way that I perceive it should look yeah. or sound the way that I think it should look, then I totally get in my head and I shut myself down. And then I don't let myself just, like, write it. Yeah. I remember literally having a conversation with a mentor one time, like, because journaling has always been something I knew was good for me to do. Like, it really helps me. And they were like, please stop trying to write fancy or pretty in your notebook. Like, just freaking write it. And so I started, like, intentionally scribbling in it just to break the form of it. But that's really, like, like a challenge for some people. A lot. Like, just let themselves just write. Yeah. So we've been talking around it. I, I want, I think this might be one of the greatest tools people can self-use. Mm-hmm. Like, You listen to this podcast and you start using it today, right? Yeah, literally. So I have found for me, and the reason journaling works is my thoughts in my head don't have boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. They can continue to expand, right? And then I connect this thought with that thought. And before I know it, I was upset because Thor was being a jerk. And now I'm going to be a horrible parent for the rest of my life because I couldn't get my dog to do and and it just like it just exists in the ethers right it sounds ridiculous when we say it out loud but in our mind yes it's super strong yeah yeah but then when i write it there's boundaries to it right in essence to the quote you mentioned earlier whatever is mentionable becomes manageable in the process of writing it out who is it jordan peterson says that it's through the process of writing you actually come to know what you really think Mm. right and i have found that to be so cathartic for me and it's the it, it's interesting because the benefit is exactly the reason why I don't want to do it, right? <laughs> because when I go to write it, I have to feel it. And acknowledge and it. And acknowledge it. Like, that is something that I'm actually thinking right now. So, I know from... I've reached this... I'm proud of myself. I've reached this level this of growth. awareness. This is yeah. growth. That when there's two or three days where I'm finding reasons to not sit down and journal, I 
I gotta sit down. That's like a red light. Like, like that's wow. a, I'm okay. avoiding my morning practice. And, or I'm finding, oh, I think I'm going to change my morning practice. And all of a sudden, I'm not a journaler anymore. You know what it's like? Journaling doesn't work for me. Journaling doesn't work for me. Yeah, it's avoidance. You don't have to call me out on my own podcast, all right? But it it is avoidance. So, like, maybe we talk about just real quick. We've kind of, uh, again, we talked around it. Why is journaling such a, like, phenomenal first tool to develop when it comes to self-care? What makes it so powerful? It is accessible all the time. A lot of times people find barriers of saying, hey, I don't have a journal with me. Well, guess what? You have your phone that has a notepad or you know, napkin at a restaurant, whatever it needs to be. I take notes during sessions of like little tidbits of things that I want to revisit mm-hmm. because our thoughts are fleeting and they're fast. And like you were saying, we just negatively spiral and we connect things so fast that it does give organization. Mm-hmm. It slows it down. We're able to process things with or without people at any time of the day in any capacity we want for as little or as long as we want. Mm-hmm. It's in essence, I'm realizing it's a conversation with myself. Yeah. And the what I am finding is what I'm writing is more true because I'm actually having to logically process out what I think. Well, and then oftentimes when you write something to just get the thought out of your mind, like for me, when I read it back, I'm like, oh, is that actually what I think? Like, is that actually what I'm going to take with me as I'm creating for the future? Yeah. No, it's not. Yeah. But there is, there's just such a powerful correlation of that pen to paper. Yes. I don't know if you feel this. We always say to clients, like, if you're in a pinch, absolutely write it down on a note in your phone. But if you can, put that pen to paper because yes. there's such a powerful like transference almost that happens. It's something that really connects me with my clients if they're not willing to open up verbally. I know from my mm. past experiences and even sometimes now, I communicate my needs and wants and thoughts so much better through paper mm. than I can verbally, especially if it's an emotionally heightened conversation. Oh, yeah. I'm way more likely to cry. Yep. I cannot, like, my brain gets on overload, I black out, I don't remember what I'm going to say, or trying to have a conversation with someone through tears and crying and all of and that. And then you're frustrated because you're it, crying. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. go well. So that's sometimes a bridge that I make with my clients and say, hey, if it's something that you're uncomfortable with, write it down, send it to me before session, send it to me during session, I will read it, we will process it together line by line if we need to. Yeah. But it allows them to still open up without them actually having to say anything. That's so good. Yeah. So as we kind of wrap up this conversation today, I feel like we could genuinely talk about this all of this with you for hours and I would be entertained but I think an interesting conversation just as we're closing let's kind of take a step and revisit I mean we talked about journaling a ton right like if there's one tool that you implement from this podcast please get a journal Um, (laughs) grab a notebook it does not need to be anything fancy and and just let yourself go there right what are some of the other things that that would be good tools for people to implement after hearing this. Yeah, looping back to our social media conversation is because it's 24-7, we really need to be able to limit or set boundaries surrounding like how how much we use it and how yeah. we use it and be aware of the content that we're continuously taking in. Is mm-hmm. this helpful or is this hurtful for me? Yeah. Because a lot of times right through all of the filters or the fa- false realities, that adds a lot of comparison and a lot of 
negative self-esteem and Mm -hmm. confidence. So being very intentional of like what content you're choosing to allow into your life. Because as soon as you open it up, you don't have control of what pops up on your screen. Yeah. Um, As well as, like I said, building internal and external social supports. Um, Protective factors. The more we have, the better we're going to be able to cope with things. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, therapy, shout out. Yes. And um, just being outside, getting nature, the foundational four, food, Mm -hmm. eat, or food, water, sleep, and Move. Yep. Yeah, move <laughs> Man, yeah. sleep. Yeah. Sleep is we huge. Could, we could literally spend an entire episode talking about sleep, but truly, if yeah. your sleep is out of order, you're not going to be good mentally. You're just not. I know I'm not. No. Nah. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's, it's just the reality. So we're going to put intentionally in the notes a bunch of different resources that people can refer to. If, if, if you're listening to this and you're realizing wow, I have some areas that are out of balance for me mentally and how I'm processing the emotions that I'm feeling. Check out those resources in the notes. Um, Amy, thank you so much for being on the podcast thank and you having, having this me. conversation with us. Um, I genuinely wish we could just keep going. We can after we can. the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but um, if you guys have questions, feel free to send them to us. We can always relay them to Amy and get an answer back to you. But we're excited to have more guests and we will see you for the next episode. Hey friends, Brittany here. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today with our first conversations with friends. We hope you got some really good practical tools for you, um, both for yourself navigating mental health and for anyone that you know. Please refer to the resources in the notes of this episode. There's so many helpful things there that can help you move forward or feel free to reach out if you're realizing you need some support in the mental health arena. We would love to talk with you. And if you haven't already, please like and subscribe to this podcast. It helps get the word out to more people. And we'll see you next week for our next guest.